0: Pastor Stan asked us to come and uh, fill in for him this morning, so it was an honor, of course. Uh, remember them in your prayers. I believe they're preaching in uh, Temecula, Paula, him and Grandpa Roy and Grandma Beulah, Sister Gretchen too. Yeah, they're all over there uh, as an extension of you. Amen. Are you awake? <laughs> All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them please to the book of Isaiah chapter 9? The book of Isaiah chapter 9. I would encourage you to invite your neighbors to come out, friends, family, whatever, tonight as well. See if we can fill this place up. Thank you for that lousy enthusiasm. <laughs> I just kept waiting and waiting, <laughs> and uh, what we're going to endeavor to teach this morning, uh, it, basically, I really believe that the Lord has, has set aside this day to talk about some very important things in the scripture and where we are as a nation, where we are right now, and where we're headed, and to bring some sense to what has been transpiring over the last uh, couple of weeks. Years really, the last fifteen, twenty years, and uh, and where we are now, and where we're headed, and it's very important that uh, that we know these things as the people of God. There's so many things that I could come here and talk to you about and and teach, but the way the Lord uses me is He either puts it in my heart or He doesn't, and so it's either flowing in me and out of me or it's not. So uh, you know, I'll read and I'll seek the Lord, and you know. It's Sunday morning so you you want to preach a pastoral message or something you know but uh that just ain't happening so uh <laughs> he he wants me to continue where I've been uh preaching lately and um and uh and what I've been preaching lately. And it's basically uh you know the Lord is coming. And uh amen, you better hope he's coming. <laughs> ah yeah. And, uh, and so, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is, is some, is, it's not Bible 101. It's a little deeper. I began to teach this last uh, two weeks ago. I was in uh, the River of Life Church, and uh, we attempted to record this message. Only half of it got recorded, the rest of it got destroyed or whatever. But, but that's okay because I know that it's a message that the Lord wants to go forward. Uh, it's nothing that's exclusive to me, it's something that Uh, has been added to me as I've been studying, and and we'll get into that in a minute. But when you're there in Isaiah chapter 9, are you there? Let's begin with the 8th verse, and we'll see where we go. I'm not going to try and rush through this today. Uh, We'll we'll do part 1 today, we'll do part 2 tonight, and we'll see what happens. And uh, again, I encourage you to invite some people to come. Anyone who's interested in Bible prophecy, I would suggest they be here. And, uh, and I guarantee you, you're going to learn some things. Amen. Amen? Amen? All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, beginning with verse 8. Now the Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it has lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria... That say in the pride and the stoutness of their heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin against him and join his enemies, Together. And I'd like to preach just for a few moments this morning on the decline of the American empire. The decline of the American empire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that we have the privilege and the opportunity this morning to gather in your house and to hear the word of the Lord. We ask that thy Holy Spirit would lift us between the heavens and the earth. That you would arrest everyone within the sound of my voice, their spirit, their mind, their hearts. That you would cause all of us to comprehend what thus saith the Lord. We ask that your anointing would abide upon uh, the recording of this message and these messages today. And that they would indeed go out throughout the whole world. And Father, we thank you for your prophets that you are raising up and have raised up in this nation and around the world. We ask that you would bless them as well. For if we've ever needed a word of God, oh Lord, we need it now. And Father, we ask for your anointing now and your presence. We will always give you the praise, the honor, and the glory by your help, your mercy, and your abundant grace. And all God's people said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. What I'm about to share with you this morning, uh, it's not unique to me. I've, I've, I've been studying Bible prophecy since I was about 14 years old, and uh, so I've learned a lot of things along the way, and, and God's revealed some things to me. But uh, I came across a book about uh, two years ago called The Harbinger, written by a, a Messianic Jew, a rabbi named Jonathan Kahn. He wrote a book uh, in, in novel form, but the the historical aspects of it and and, and and, and the information that he provided within the book was placed in the context of a story rather than just a dry theological dissertation or book. And uh, in there, he, he spoke of things concerning and pertaining to the United States of America. I want to take you back this morning for a few moments to, uh, I guess it was the year 1991, I believe it was. Uh, my wife and I and children had been called to Tippett, Louisiana, which is someplace none of you ever want to go. And, uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> they asked us to come and to build a church there, to help them build a church. And, and I told them, I said, you know, I'm not a pastor, so, you know, if I come, I'm just going to destroy the people. <laughs> you know, pastors have a kind of heart that they'll sit with you, they'll cry with you, they'll, you know, listen to all your problems. And I'm not made that way. Sorry about that. I hurt some of your feelings, but... Uh, I believe, you know, I give the word out, and then I wonder, why aren't you fixed, you know? <laughs> but uh, no, I do have compassion for people. But pastors are unique in that they, they've been given as gifts of God to us in order to minister to the people and take care of their needs. So I told them, you know, we're really not called to be pastors, but we'll come and we'll begin the development of the church as the, as the Lord wills, and then God will raise up the man of God that he wants there, and then we'll leave. So that's what we did. <laughs> But it was in that year that I began to seek God on a basis that I had not known previously. <clears throat> he began to move in my heart and my spirit and began to move me in a direction because suddenly I was responsible for bringing the word every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, every week. And so, and, and, and for a particular group of people, and we were trying to forge a work of God within that city. That kind of... of uh, <laughs> Of blessing requires the anointing of the Spirit of God to move you in a direction in order for you to seek God at a level that is is beyond your own need. And I began to rise every morning at like four o'clock in the morning, every morning, and I would seek the Lord two, three hours every morning in prayer, and then I would read the word two, three, four hours every day, every morning. And I began to be pushed in that direction by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know you cannot do that in your flesh? You just can't. You'll eventually run out of strength. You'll, you'll, you'll get tired. But I know now, looking back in reflection, that that was the, the, the Spirit of the Lord moving me in those directions. And, and the reason was, as I would come to realize and find out, is, is that the messages that began to come out of those sessions that I had with God they were specifically designed to 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 proclaim a message of the coming of the Lord. And it seemed like every Sunday whenever I would get up to preach, I would preach on the coming of the Lord, no matter where it was, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, all I could see was that Jesus is coming. And uh I remember <laughs> I remember one night I was I was asleep and 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 I don't claim to have visions and dreams and all that kind of stuff, but if I've ever had a vision, this was one. It was in the midst of that, maybe in the third or the fourth month of being in this place, that I found myself in the visions of of the night, being carried into a dream. And in my dream, I was suspended in the air, and it was nighttime. And I found myself, I looked up in the sky, and it was a cloudless night, And I could see the stars. And I looked beneath my feet, and I was hovering over the ocean. And then when I looked into the distance, I saw a skyline. And and instantly I recognized, uh, you know, that famous skyline happened to be uh, Manhattan, New York City. With the two towers and the Empire State Building. You know that outline that we came used to seeing. And as I was hovering there in, in, in the dream... I heard a voice behind me, and the voice said to me, this is a vision. And when he said that, the, the city I was looking at, it was as if like when you zip up a jacket or you unzip a jacket, the city I looked at, it, it became unzipped, and it peeled back. And I, what I was looking at again was the same city, only what I had originally been looking at was now removed, but it was the same city again. And then my attention was drawn to those two towers. And it was at, it was at nighttime that I saw this vision in, in my dream. It was a nighttime kind of thing. And, and from all of a sudden, from underneath those buildings came fire. And the fire spread and just kind of like spread along the ground throughout the city. And then I was watching this and I was intrigued by what I was seeing and really didn't understand it. And then suddenly, from the right side of my my, my vision, as I was looking at the city, I saw fire coming from the sky, and it hit those buildings. It looked like a falling star. But it came like fire, and it hit those buildings, and suddenly the buildings collapsed, and smoke and fire began to rise, and I woke up. Well, I had no idea what that meant. I had absolutely no idea what that meant. And as a matter of fact, it really wouldn't be until September 11, 2001 that suddenly the Lord would remind me of the vision I had. And told me, this is the fulfillment of the vision that I gave you 10 years ago. And then he reminded me of the vision. And remember, I first shared with you that what I first saw was that fire was coming up from underneath the building. Well, he reminded me that uh, in 1993, there was a, 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 a Muslim terrorist guy who rented a truck, packed it full of explosives... Drove it underneath the World Trade Center, if you remember, and detonated it. They tried to bring the building down then, but they didn't. However, over a thousand people were injured that day, and indeed, a fire was ignited. I believe six of the floors of the World Trade Center were damaged, and and smoke and fire left the building from underneath, and the firemen came and all that kind of stuff, and that was the first thing that I saw. Well, we fast-forward to September 11, 2001. It was about uh, 9.20 in the morning. I was in my room, and my daughters were uh, with me and my wife, uh, and we were in Boca Raton, Florida. I always get up early. And for years, this has bothered me because when this happened, I was asleep. And and I'm never asleep, hardly ever am I asleep at 9.20 in the morning. I usually get up at 3.30 in the morning. And uh, not just because I'm old either, because, you know, (laughs) but uh, my daughter came and woke me up and she said, Daddy, something is happening in New York. And, you know, I was like, "Well, Well, what? And so I went out and I saw the first plane had already hit one of the towers. Smoke was coming out the side of the building. And we sat there and they really didn't know what it was at first. They thought it was, uh, you know, a plane had gone off course and hit the buildings. But then as we watched together, suddenly came a second plane. And it hit on the other side and hit the other tower. And we knew, I knew as an adult, my, my, my children knew something was wrong, but as an adult, I'll never forget the, the fear <laughs> that swept through my heart. Well, aren't you a man of God? Yeah, well, (laughs) I've never seen anything like that in my life. I knew that our nation was under attack. But from who and why? And how is it that we spent years without hearing warnings from the men of God? There was maybe one or two of them. Brother Wilkerson was one of them. But by and large, the preachers were silent and were not declaring anything. They were preaching prosperity to you and, and you know, name it and claim it and all that kind of garbage because that's what it is. It has no basis or foundation in scripture and all the while it led a generation of people to begin to seek for their own needs, to fulfill their own desires, their own wants and all the while the commission of the Lord to go into all the world and preach the gospel and reap a harvest of souls had pretty much come to an end. We began to have a nation that began to pursue things that were contrary to the word of God. The things that we once called darkness, suddenly we began to embrace them. Things that we would have never seen on TV. I mean, I grew up watching I Love Lucy on TV, right? I mean, the most sexy thing you saw was Lucy wearing a nightgown up to here, and, and, and she, she's sleeping in her own bed, and, and Ricky's sleeping in his own bed. I mean, and they're married. <laughs> We've gone from that to where we are today. Hmm. Very scared. And there has been a progressive desensitization of the people and the masses. Both through imagery and through sound, through lifestyle, through education, through our court systems. Everything began to uh, crumble in, in the sense of the moral foundation of our nation. It began to slowly but surely erode. Now, I'm old enough to remember what was going on in the church. We had a move of God take place in the late 70s and 80s, where we saw a shifting away from the denominational world to the, uh, the Pentecostal or charismatic world. You had networks born like Trinity Broadcasting Network. You had evangelists uh, like Jimmy Swaggart running around preaching the gospel all over the world and thousands and thousands and thousands of people getting saved. You, you had megachurches exploding. You had the people of the spirit suddenly coming to the forefront. But something began to happen. As they began to be prospered and as they began to uh, uh, grow and, 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 and succeed in their efforts of whatever they were doing, We didn't know what was really going on behind the scenes with these people. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody, but, you know, what ended up happening was, you know, we had people in front of us preaching holiness when all the while they're out, you know, on on 4th and Main doing things they shouldn't be doing. For whatever reason. None of us are perfect in here. I'm not trying to say that. But my point is, is that what was coming forth from the pulpit was a, was, was a lie. There was something being presented to the people on one end, but what was flowing out of the spirit was infecting a generation of people with compromise. Amen. you guys awake? Yeah. <laughs> so, God, Brother Marty, where have you been hanging out? You're grouchy, man. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. So we had, we had one preacher who built a network called the PTL Network, and, and, and he started selling timeshares, and he, he sold more timeshares than he should have. And, and he raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and they found that he was guilty of fraud, and they sent him to jail for 45 years. And his network came crashing down. You had, a, uh, you had other evangelists doing crazy things and getting up in front of the people and having to confess that, that they weren't lining up with what they were preaching. And their ministries came crumbling down. And all of a sudden, what we had happen was that what was once the thrust of our nation to become a light and a beacon to the world, as a Judeo-Christian nation, sending forth evangelists and missionaries throughout the world, proclaiming the gospel in order to reap a harvest. It shifted because a vacuum was left. There was a hole left, if you will. And, 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 and what ended up filling that vacuum were men and women of, of a compromised nature whose God was no longer the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but their whole desire was for money. Yes. 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 Now, the Lord says in the book of Haggai, shall not God visit a nation for for such people as this? So... When the two towers came crumbling down, it wasn't like it happened overnight. America is the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. There has never been an empire like our empire. We can deploy forces anywhere in the world within a 24 to 72 hour period. We're we're a powerful military nation. The economy of the United States drives the economy of the entire world. Why do you think millions and millions of people try to cross the Rio Grande to come over here? Because <laughs> we're so awful? No, because we, we, we have been given a blessing from God. Even our songs talk about it, right? Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray. What was, that? What was the next line? For purple mountains majesty above the fruited plain. America, America. God shed his grace on thee, and he crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. What made our nation great was that we had a collection of people who founded this nation driven by the Holy Spirit to create a, a nation where people could freely worship the Lord from their heart. And honor him as God. And that there be no king but Jesus. And so something was born that had never existed before. It was a government of the people. By the people. And for the people. You ever been to history class? (laughs) It was a new expression. It was a nation... And we are a nation of immigrants, of every race, of every tribe, of every color, of every creed. We came from all over the world to this country. We went through a revolutionary war. Blood was shed in order for this nation to be born. And we achieved a victory over the British Empire. And we became... The United States of America. When I... Bless you. (laughs) You can tell I'm an ex-Catholic, right? Bless you, my sister. Amen. No. (laughs) Remember, this is a two-part message now. We were a nation that was born out of the miraculous. I've read accounts of George Washington when it looked like uh, we were about to lose. It was a horrible, freezing, blizzard-like conditions. Our our troops, they didn't have shoes. They were hungry. They were starving. It looked for all intensive purposes as if England was going to have its ultimate victory and we would have just become a, an extension of the British Empire. And, and, and we're, we're told in, in the writings in the papers of, of George Washington, it's recorded that he shared this story with one of his closest friends, that, that he had no idea what to do. But as the leader and the commander of, of our armies, he went into the forest there and, and, and knelt down on a snowy bank and began to cry out to God. And ask God for help. And it is said and recorded that at that moment, he describes it as a being of light or an angel. Visited him. And that angel began to tell him, you are not going to lose this battle. And then it is recorded that he said what the angel showed him was that suddenly he began to see points of light. That ultimately would form... What we now look at when we look at a map, we look at the United States of America, that the angel showed him that the nation was going to grow from sea to sea, and that though it looked dire right now, that God was going to anoint them and bless them, and that they would ultimately achieve the victory, and they did. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you for that lousy enthusiasm again. (laughs) You ought to be glad. We wouldn't be here this morning. I'd be talking like this, eh? You know I mean <laughs> I mean <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, the Declaration of Independence was signed in the year 1776, correct? They reached a point when they were writing the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence where we are told in our history books that... that I don't know about today's history books, but, but that Benjamin Franklin would stand up in Freedom Hall in Philadelphia. And that they had reached an impasse and they couldn't figure out what they were going to do as to you know, certain particular things and, and ways that they would write and construct this, this blessed and holy document, really. And so he stood up and he said, no nation... Uh, can ever expect to be a lasting and enduring nation without the divine blessing of providence, of Almighty God. And so he grabbed those men, those 50, however many men signed the Constitution, 53, 56 of them, I don't remember right now, and they prayed. And they asked God's blessing upon that document and upon this nation, 1776. And they would write things like... uh, you know, we believe that we have been endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. That is uh, that is the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. They, they acknowledged a creator. There was no doubt in their mind that God was God and that if we did not seek his blessing. That we could ever hope to endure as a nation. Amen. (laughs) And it's the same today. Now, listen, uh, it would not be until 1789 when we would have an election for the presidency of the United States. George Washington would be nominated and uh, even though he didn't want the position, he became the first president of the United States. Now, he was inaugurated in, I believe it was April 30th, 1789. He took the oath of office at, at uh, Federal Hall in the capital of what was then the United States of America. Now, what most people don't know is that the capital of the United States of America, at that time, it wasn't Washington, D.C. <laughs> Washington, D.C. was named after Washington. <laughs> so there was no Washington, D.C. yet. But the capital of the United States of America in 1789, I think you all know where I'm headed, was New York City. And we'll go along a little bit further. It was there that he would take the oath of office in a place called Federal Hall. After he took the oath of office, he would lead the first Congress and the senators and the dignitaries that were gathered. And he would walk down the street to a place called Trinity Church. This would be the second Trinity Church, by the way, because Trinity Church was originally built, I believe it was by King George in 1689, but it had been burned to the ground by fire, and it was under construction when he came on April the 30th, 1789, and it was then known as St. Paul's Church, and it's known that to this day. You can Google everything I'm telling you and find out I'm telling you the truth. Washington comes to this, and they have an official uh, service asking God to bless the nation and to bless the president. And, and he dedicates the United States of America to God from St. Paul's Church in New York City, Manhattan. That day, April 30th, 1789. Now, from that point on, the United States began to grow. We began to be blessed like no nation before us. Innovation, industry, uh, uh, we came out of World War I. World War II is the most powerful and pro- prosperous nations on the face of the earth, and to this day. It was not until recently, back in, uh, I believe it was October of last year, that the United States, for the first time in the, in the history of its taking over its place as an economic power and the leading economic power in the world, we finally have lost our status as the leading economic power in the world, and that occurred last year. In October of 2014, we've been replaced by China. Now, let's go to the scriptures here. Verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10 that this declaration was made by the nation of Israel. The bricks are fallen down. But we will build with hewn stone. The sycamores are cut down. But we will change them into cedar. Now, as Rabbi Kahn points out. In the book I was telling you about, he says that a series of harbingers or warnings have been given to the United States of America. He points out that, and rightfully so, that back in the day when Israel split from Judah and became a nation, if you know your Bible history, 10 tribes split from Judah and Benjamin. When King Solomon died, he had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam refused to take the advice of the elders, and so the ten tribes split from him, and and the kingdom was divided. Under the leadership of Jeroboam, they would institute a new capital city in Samaria. It was there that they instituted a false religion and anointed anybody who wanted to be a priest. And the reason that Jeroboam did this is because he knew that the power of the temple structure in Jerusalem would always keep the nation's heart over there. And if he was ever going to have the total nation's heart, he would have to reestablish their religious conviction, which is what he did. And what ended up happening is that Israel began to decline into gross immorality and gross idolatry. Over years and years, God would send prophets to warn Israel and to warn Israel and to warn Israel that if she did not repent, that she would come under severe judgment from God. Well, in the interim, because of her refusal to repent, there would be a great empire that would rise. It would be called the Assyrian Empire. Have you ever heard of the Assyrian Empire? The Assyrian Empire (laughs) came and, and attacked Israel, came to her outer walls. And her initial attack, she knocked down the walls that protected Samaria. But then she, was, she went away. It was God's way of allowing Israel to experience a measure of judgment without complete destruction in hopes that it would wake up her people and leadership and cause them to repent and ask God to forgive them so that he could protect them and reunify the nation. But rather than proclaiming that they would repent, their leadership stood up and failed. Listen, they failed to recognize that this initial attack that brought down her walls was in fact allowed by God as a judgment of God on a nation that claimed to be of God in order to wake it up so that it might repent. But the leadership refused to acknowledge that this was a judgment of God. On September 11, 2001, if you got up and said we are being judged by God, you'd be stoned by every leader from sea to shining sea. It wasn't popular to say that we were under judgment. See, it's in absolutely insane that the greatest world A power that the world has ever seen, the United States of America, greater than the Roman Empire, more powerful than any military force that has ever existed. It is is crazy to think that 19 men from the Middle East could take three planes and literally plunge the entire world into war and change this nation as we know it. what we didn't realize is that the hand and the protecting hand of god that has rested over this nation we used to think that because we are separated by the atlantic and the pacific oceans that no one could come toward us that we were too we were so geographically and strategically located that no power could attack us but 19 men from the middle east islamic terrorists. I know they don't like to say that today. They're afraid to call them what they are. And believe you me, don't you believe people that call Islam a religion of peace? There's nothing peaceful about it. As a matter of fact, those people that are called ISIS, those people are actually doing exactly what the book tells them to do. They are more true to their religion than the ones who say that they're not extremists. It is written in the charter, for instance, of Hamas, who's trying to uh, establish its own state in Israel, for example, that they must kill the Jew under every rock and under every tree and kill the Christian behind every door wherever they find him if they refuse to repent and accept the Prophet Muhammad's doctrine and Allah as their God. That's written in their constitution. Now, <laughs> it says, it, 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 it was mind-boggling that, that, that 19 men could do such a thing. And what was attacked? The symbol of our economic power. Not only the economic power, but the, but the world's economic power. Those two towers stood... As, a, as, a, as an example of our arrogance. They stood at one time. They were the tallest buildings in the world. They represented our economic might. Our economic power. But they came tumbling down. For all the world to see. Not only was the symbol of our economic power attacked. But so was the symbol of our military might. You remember they flew, they hardly ever talk about this one, but they flew a plane into the Pentagon. Do you remember? Many people died that day as a plane was was crashed into the Pentagon. And the third plane, they say, was on its way to Capitol Hill. Had it not been for uh, several brave people, one of them or a couple of them being Christians who refused to allow this to happen. They had heard what was going on. They break down the cockpit door and they gave their lives and, and, and that plane. But the plane crashed in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. That's where our Constitution was written. God was trying to speak to us and has been trying to speak to us ever since. And when now remember when Assyrians attacked Israel the first time and those walls came tumbling down, rather than repenting and asking God to help them to to to, to repent and to come back to Him, they declared the bricks are falling down, but we're going to build stronger walls. We're going to build with hewn stone. The sycamores have been cut down, but we'll replace them with cedar trees. Now how is that paralleling the United States of America? Number one, (laughs) the Assyrians were the original terrorists. If you know your history, they were the most vicious military force the world had ever seen. They would do things like skin men alive and carry around them like, like they were pelts on their backs. But you know what they were most famous for? For decapitation. For cutting people's. Heads off, putting them on poles, lining the road with them in order to inflict extreme terror on the population around them. That same spirit that attacked Israel so many years ago and that ultimately brought about its destruction and would destroy the nation, burning it to the ground. That same spirit has risen its ugly head again and is moving through these people called ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and go down the list. And what, are they, what is ISIS famous for? For cutting off heads and showing it all over the world to inflict fear upon the people. And all the while, God has allowed this to happen. In order that we might wake up in this nation. Just a few weeks ago, they took 21 of our brothers, Christians from Egypt. They kidnapped them and they led them to the shores of Libya. And they filmed all of them as they cut their heads off, not because they were criminal, but because they were Christian. Do you understand what's really happening? And listen, (laughs) the bricks are falling down, but we shall rebuild. Rather than repenting, that is what they declared. I don't care that that, that, that you know, we've never been attacked before, but now we're being attacked and something bad has happened. It, it, we are so far gone in, 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 our, in our immorality that our consciences have been seared and we cannot recognize from the preacher to the president to, to, to the professor in the college. We cannot recognize when God is allowing something to happen in order to wake us up. And so rather than repenting, we stand and we shake our fist in the face of God and say, we will repent build with hewn stone and replace the sycamores with cedar Uh. federal hall 1789 George Washington gives that speech and he lays his hand on the bible as a matter of fact if you go over to where that used to be uh, exist uh, there's a statue there in Manhattan of George Washington And they show him standing there, and and he has his hand out, But they they refuse to allow the sculptor to put a Bible under it. But literally, that's what he's doing, is laying his hand on the Bible and dedicating the nation to God. It's right in front of Wall Street. Right across the street from Wall Street. It's as if that sculpture ever lives to remind uh, uh, these powers that be that your blessing and your prosperity came not because of your brilliance. It came because there was a group of men and a group of people who one time fell on their knees and asked God to bless them. That's why you're blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Now, listen to this. When the towers came down, I got five minutes, ten minutes, and come back tonight, we'll finish the rest. When those towers came down, September 11, 2001. The very next day, Google it, check it out, I'm telling you the truth. The very next day, September the 12th, 2001, the majority leader of the United States Senate gets up in the Senate chambers and he begins to give a patriotic speech because people are so freaked out. What what just happened? And in the midst of his speech, at the end of it, he closes his speech. And he says this. He says, let us take strength from the words of Holy Scripture. As it is written in Isaiah, he says in his speech, September 12, 2001. The bricks are fallen down. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedar. He declared that as a representative of the nation, as a representative of uh, of the people. He was the majority leader at the time of the United States Senate. The day after 9-11, he thinks he's quoting an inspiring scripture He thinks, he's saying, although we've been hit by a people, we're a great people and we're going to stand up and rebuild. He uses the very scripture that Israel used thousands of years before in defiance of God. He quotes the very scripture that would bring judgment on Israel, not blessing. And he didn't know it. Then comes, I believe it's, uh, oh yeah, that's right, September the 11th, 2004. It's three years after the two towers had come down. They've cleaned all the debris, they have begun to lay the foundation in order to build, uh-huh. it was originally going to be two towers but it became one tower is it not interesting that whenever men rebel against God and against his judgment they erect towers to the sky August, uh, September eleventh, two 2004 vice presidential candidate John Edwards, you remember him? He was sent to ground zero to give a speech because September 11, 2004 was going to be the day when they laid the cornerstone of that new tower that they were going to build. Remember what Tom Daschle had said in his speech. He quoted Isaiah 9, 10. He said, the bricks are falling down, but we will rebuild with what? With hewn stone." Or really, granite. He was talking about granite stone that is hewn by the Masons. Well, on September the 11th, 2004, as they're getting ready to lay the cornerstone, what would become what we would call the Freedom Tower, they got that cornerstone, that giant block of granite. They hewed it out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York. They created a hewn stone. And they had it on a crane, and they were going to lay it in place as a ceremony. And John Edwards gives a speech to dedicate the stone that would become the cornerstone of the Freedom Tower. And at the end of his speech, he says, look it up, so you know I'm not lying to you. I'd be an idiot if I was saying all this and I was lying to you, my guy. Dude knows how to tell a story, my goodness. <laughs> he said, he said, he says at the end of his speech, as they're late, remember what they said 2001, September 12th, day afterwards we will rebuild. The bricks are falling down, but we're gonna rebuild and we're gonna do it with hewn stone. The sycamores have been cut down, but we shall replace them with cedar. Then, three years later, as they're getting ready to dedicate, The cornerstone, it literally was a hewn stone out of the Adirondack mountains of New York City, a granite stone, and they laid it in place. And as he gave the speech, he says, let us draw comfort from scripture. He said, as it was proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah, the bricks are fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone." The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedar. He said that. (laughs) The vice presidential candidate of the United States said the very same scripture. The Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. The majority leader on September the 12th, 2011, quotes Isaiah 910, a scripture of judgment. The vice presidential candidate in 2004, when they're laying the hewn stone, he quotes Isaiah 9-10. Two voices, two leaders of the United States government representing the people, both of them saying, without even realizing it, we will not repent, we will rebuild, we will be stronger in spite of what you've allowed come upon us, O God. But there's another part to that scripture, and I'll close with this. Come back tonight. On August the 12th, 2012, they invited President Obama to come to Ground Zero. They had already built a significant portion of the Freedom Tower, but I believe this was going to be the highest beam on the tower. It was signed by policemen and firemen and autographed by all the workers that had worked on it. But then they asked the president to sign it. And, and he says, okay, I'll sign it. He could have signed anything. He could have written anything. But he writes, and I wrote it down this morning. I looked it up again because I couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> August 2012, President Obama, you can Google it, what he writes. He he wrote on that beam, he says, we have rebuilt and we have come back stronger. That beam today is sitting in that tower. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, listen, George Washington took the oath of office from federal hall. When those two planes hit those two towers and they came crashing down, they came crashing down with such a force. You remember, you saw it on TV. And, and it, it hit the ground like a thunderous tidal wave or, or an earthquake. It, it shook the ground, they say. And... And, and the debris field exploded outward, almost like a hurricane-like wind. Beams and glass and all kinds of stuff were just, boom, were going out in every direction. And, and, and the force of it sent it toward Federal Hall, where George Washington had uh, been inaugurated as President of the United States. And, and what ended up happening was it got hit with such a force... That the foundation of Federal Hall was cracked from one end to the other. Is it a sign? Was the Lord speaking to us that the foundation of America has been cracked? There was only one building that survived without damage that day. It was, it was Trinity Chapel. It was St. Paul's Chapel where Washington had taken the senators and the congressmen down the street after he had received the inauguration and gave his speech. Then he went to Trinity Chapel. <laughs> and there he would pray and dedicate the United States of America to God Almighty. The only building on 9-11... That did not get touched or destroyed was St. Paul's Chapel, the very place where Washington had dedicated this nation to God. It was as if God was saying, I have always been your protection, but you have turned your back on me. Now, let me really freak you out Federal Hall. And St. Paul or Trinity Chapel is located on the very acreage and ground that we call Ground Zero. Federal Hall sat on Ground Zero where the towers came down. It is no accident that the judgment came there. And do you know what prevented? Listen to this. This will really freak you out, bro. This will freak me out. What prevented Trinity Chapel from collapsing? Because debris was flying all around it. Buildings to the left of it, to the right of it, behind it, in front of it, all were damaged in some way. It wasn't. Because way back in the 1600s, sometime, they had planted a tree. And you know what kind of tree that was? It was a sycamore tree. And when the, and it, now remember, it had been growing for hundreds of years, and when, it, when that debris came at it, that tree literally protected the house of God. That tree got knocked down. But nothing happened to the church where America was dedicated by George Washington. The sycamore was cut down. Do you know they dug that thing up because they couldn't leave it there, and <laughs> and they replaced it. I know you don't believe this, but I'm telling you the truth. Uh, you couldn't make this up. They planted in place of the sycamore tree a cedar tree and completed the defiance for 7 years that tree was planted had was planted 7 years ago and for 7 years they've tried to keep it alive they call it the tree of hope but from the very day that it was planted, it never would take root. They tried everything. They called in some of the leading horticulturists in the United States to try and feed it the right food, to water it the right way. They trimmed its branches. They tried, they dug around it, they refertilized it. They tried everything for seven years to make that cedar grow and it won't grow. It's called the Tree of Hope. Well, finally they gave up. And they removed that tree last year. They dug it out of the ground and they haven't replaced it with anything because nothing will grow there anymore. It was called the tree of hope. But it would not live. Since that time, America, you would think, would have entered into a great revival. We would have sought God. I mean, I remember when the towers came down that our churches were filled. Everybody was driving around with little flags on their car. And, you know, everybody was praying. And and, and even our congressmen, Democrat, Republican, and Independent alike, they gathered on the Capitol steps and they would sing, God bless America. And this lasted for three weeks. But we have not turned around. We have not repented. We have not asked God to cleanse us, to help us. We have not returned to him. We have sacrificed our children to the tune of almost 50 million on the altars of of the abortion clinics that we refuse to close. Even up to the ninth month of pregnancy, we have legitimized murder in the womb. I know you don't like to hear this kind of stuff. And we refuse to turn around. We refuse to repent. We refuse to come back to God. i preached a message here in February of last year. I talked to you about the four blood moons. The four blood moons and the two solar eclipses. Sounds like a dance or something, huh? (laughs) Well... And I predicted to you back then, if we're actually living in the time that I think we're living, that war was about to break out. We hadn't even heard of ISIS yet. But I told you that the rabbis predicted that if there's a blood moon that occurs on a specific feast day of the high holy days of the Jewish calendar, that trouble or war is coming to the Gentile world. If a solar eclipse, not a lunar eclipse, but a solar eclipse takes place in the same year of a blood moon, that war is coming to Israel. Well, wasn't it last week? On the spring equinox, we had a solar eclipse. On the very day that represents resurrection. Resurrection. God is speaking. Remember what Jesus said? There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, in the earth beneath. He said the sea and the waves would be roaring and that men's hearts would begin to fail them for fear of what they see coming upon the face of the earth. For the powers of heaven, he said, shall be shaken. We're headed into Easter next week. Is it next week? Yes. The third blood moon is about to appear on Passover Day, Saturday, April the 4th. Look up in the heavens and you'll see a blood moon. And the last one will appear on September the 28th during the Feast of Tabernacles this year. This has only happened eight times in recorded human history. And we are living. In the midst of the eighth time, we have seen the world head headlong into a turbulent time. We have a a, a rekindling of an ancient empire, the Persian Empire. We call them Iran. We have leadership that has absolutely lost its mind and is negotiating with our enemies. Our enemies who are sworn to destroy our nation. Our enemies who call Israel the little Satan and call America the great Satan. We, we, we were thinking we can negotiate with such a people as this. There's war in the Middle East. Our Christian brothers and sisters are being crucified, being beheaded, and being slaughtered. Even yesterday, or this morning would be for us, but yesterday in Iraq. I believe it was. They took over the most ancient church in all of that area of the world. They slaughtered multitudes of people. And they tore the cross off the top of it. And they put up their black uh, demonic flag of ISIS. You've got war in Syria. You've got our soldiers in Afghanistan. You have Iraq going crazy. And to top it off, The capital city, the proclaimed capital city of this new terrorist group known as ISIS, is in a a city called Mosul, right? Do you know that Mosul is what we used to call Nineveh? Do you know that Nineveh was the ancient capital of who? Assyria. The very ones who judged Israel So many years ago, that same spirit is rising now. All of these things are coming together. And we as a people, as a nation, we have one option, really. We either cry out to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins, all of us, starting with me. Or we are about to see the end of the American age. I wish I could tell you that I see that happening. I know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he sent Joseph into Nineveh, and had, I mean, not Joseph, Jonah into Nineveh, and had him preach that, that they repented. But it was only for a generation. Ultimately, judgment did come. But I didn't come by just to scare you, because you're the people of God. And Jesus said, men's hearts will be failing them for fear of what they see coming upon the face of the earth. He said, but when you see these things, he said, square back your shoulders, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. I don't know what you're making plans for, but I'm listening for the sound of a trumpet. For my Bible tells me that the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. Somebody praise him this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Glory to God. Glory, you can do better than that. Glory to God. I'm looking for a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. I serve a resurrected Savior. I serve a soon-coming King. I serve the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I serve the great I Am. I serve Him that was, that is, and is to come. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody praise him. Somebody glorify him. Somebody worship him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Brother Sean, would you come? Hallelujah. Continue to pray as Brother Sean comes. Don't forget to come back tonight. Hallelujah. Sister Debbie, would you help back there? Hallelujah.